Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. <clears throat> uh, well, at least I don't have the same problems with my voice as I did last week. All that's getting better. Uh, you got out for a ride just before we started recording, right? I did. I and did. how'd it go? You know... It's funny you asked that. I, it's only funny you asked that because it was one of those, because I was actually thinking about talking about it. I um, I have signed another book contract, which... Uh, hey! Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. I don't want to talk too much about it yet, but whenever I sign a contract to do a book, I go into a period of abject panic. Um, <laughs> because... <laughs> Because I actually have to write the thing, and yeah. and then I wallow through all the waves of self doubt, and you know, I mean, it's it, it gets I go through a cave of of you know, it's its own. But anyway, um, I actually sort of started the process today, and I went on a ride. And whenever I start a project like that, I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to ride as much. I'm gonna have to sit and like really work. And, you know, today I'm like, oh, I gotta get out. I gotta get out. My head is just all cluttered and it's swirling. And I stopped twice on my ride to talk into my phone and record all the thoughts that I was having because mm. it was one of the, like, that's why, you know, it's just like an amazing thing. I just kept thinking, this is why even when I'm really busy, I still need to get out because yeah. all these great thoughts you yep. know, for this project just came like flowing into my head. I'm like, okay, remember that, remember that. And then at some point I'm like, stop and just make a note in your phone. You know, no, that's, just talk. that's really yeah. smart. I just yeah. talk into it. But um, so, yeah, in that way, I mean, there was not a remarkable ride. I rode, you know, the places I often do. It was a lunch ride. But uh, it was remarkable in that it was one of those other kind of flow state rides, I guess, where I just had, like, all these great thoughts coming. So that's yeah. always cool. Yeah. I was thinking about you because I was on a ride, but it was pouring on me from my ride. Oh, and I was like, I wonder what her like. <laughs> no, it's cold here, but not. Um, you guys have had, you've had rain. It's been biblical. Really? Has yeah. it been that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I know it's been raining, but I, pardon me, but whenever I hear about you guys complaining about rain, I just think it's raining. Like, I don't actually, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I maybe don't appreciate that maybe it's really, really raining. Like It's, it's funny because, I mean... I grew up in the deep south, or well, the mid south, more properly. Well, that's yeah, you're, that's the south. Yeah. And when we would get thunderstorms in Memphis, it was it was as if all the water was coming down. And I say that <laughs> as someone who really shouldn't say that because he's never he's never experienced a monsoon. Because I hear right. a monsoon is like the thing of all things with rain, but, like buck, like literal buckets. Yeah, I've not yeah. experienced that either. But yeah, yeah. But for California, what we've been having lately, like every possible little 
little old creek bed or stream bed or anything that used to carry water and dried up is now completely overflowing. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Is there any, like, <laughs> is it is it a, a system that's sort of stuck? Do you know what I mean? Like, is there... No, no. It's okay. just a big atmospheric river that's washing over us. Oh, we so, know atmospheric rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was getting us yesterday is now hammering Tahoe. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, but, you know, uh, I'm not complaining. I'm <laughs> just telling a story. <laughs> hey, I understand. <laughs> you know, we All need right. the rain. Yeah. I'm not thrilled about what this is going to do the, to the poison oak. So it makes it grow? Yeah, it makes it grow. Okay. <laughs> Ferociously. <laughs> Funny how, so how rain does that. that. A little rain, a little sunshine. <laughs> yeah, that's not my... That's the only play... That's the thing I will complain about, and I have right. every right to complain about after my last bout of poison oak. <laughs> right. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Let's move into some polls. What do you say? I, I am on it. Um, I really need to talk about uh, Caitlin Ohashi's floor performance. If that name does not ring a bell, (laughs) I'm sure everybody, if they don't recognize the name, has seen the UCLA gymnast who just did that. Everyone's like, 10 is not enough. She got perfect 10s. The Wall Street Journal did a post on it. It's been super viral. It's just this, um, if you haven't watched it, yeah. If you can leap into the air and land in the splits, you are otherworldly. But like, but not just leap and do like all these aerials, land in the split, and then just bounce right back up. Like you've just, I mean, it's, everyone is always saying the same thing. It's like they would just tear ligaments they didn't even know they had. Like, it's just unbelievable. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. but I, but the, but the physical, I mean, because you see people, you see gymnasts doing physicality, you can't even comprehend, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, that's, she's not alone for that. I mean, her flawless execution for sure was, but, um, she is joy personified and that's yeah. what's getting the attention like she looks like she is having literally the best time of her life like you know careless. that no christmas morning was ever as good for her as that it is, is. it's just you can't even and like yeah. the people behind her the girls behind her that are like dancing along with her it's the whole thing is everybody should just because you need joy everybody needs a lot of joy right now click on that today and it's 2 minutes long watch it twice but the the reason <laughs> The reason I want to talk about it so much is because, so I saw it and like everybody in the world was just like blown away. But then I read, and I'm, I'm actually going to try not to break into tears because I, I heard this piece on NPR about her and I read some stuff and, and I'm going to just read the, the quote from a piece that I read. It says, I was broken. I was told that it was embarrassing how big I'd become. I was compared to a bird that couldn't fly. These were all things I heard before I'd even got injured, things that what I heard when I was skinny, I was told. So what would they think of me when I had become big? I couldn't accept myself. She had Ooh. been told she was fat. She had been told all these things, like she had broken vertebrae in her back, torn her shoulders, and then being compared to a fat bird that couldn't fly. Um, she, and, you know, she was almost dumb when she was 11. Like, she was so burned out from this kind of toxic, this, this environment. So she got a new coach. And this is what happens when somebody literally takes you under their wing and, like, gives, feeds you positivity and unburdens you of this, these messages. Like, she's, like, so, and it's just, like, the power of that, I just can't even 
I can't even begin. I can't even, you know, and it made me think about weight in a lot of ways. It made mm-hmm. me think about, because this is the time of year where I, I, I hear so many people talking about losing weight and asking me about their weight and talking about weight, 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 like physical weight. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like I, I get on the soapbox a lot, but this story made me think of it yet again. Because, I mean, I'll tell you, when I did see her, I did notice. I'm like, that woman's got legs. She looks like a track sprinter. I mean, she looks like... She's muscular. Jesus. She's not just, you know, bone and skin. No, she's... she. But then you see her like, that's but that's power. That mm-hmm. is like, she's propelling herself so far up into the air and doing full body rotations. Yeah. That's so... When you're talking, and cyclists, listen, when you're talking about power-to-weight sports, there are two parts of that equation. And we are always stuck on the second. We get so stuck on the second one. And I know I've mentioned this before. I'm going to say it again. I went through an experiment where I weighed myself every freaking day for five years while racing mountain bikes all over the world, gravel events all over the world. And I had some of my best races at 137 pounds and some of my worst at 127 pounds. And that, like, there's, there was no, like, oh, when I get to this magical weight, these, this thing, this, it just doesn't work that way. Your weight is so many things. Your weight is muscle. Your weight is glycogen. Your weight is water. You, you know, your, your weight can be inflammation. That's bad. You can be skinny fat. You can be all kinds of things. Yeah. Like, you, you know, and I stepped off the scale last year in November because I was just done with the experiment. Um, and I, you know, and I'm not immune to it either. I would start getting a little mental about the numbers, even though I knew better. Um, but you know, I went back into the weight room and I'm like, I'm really not going to step on the scale because I hadn't been in the weight room for a while and I get muscular. I knew I was going to be putting on muscle, and I didn't want the scale to mess without with something positive that could happen. Mm-hmm. And I feel so much better than I have. In a long time, I feel really strong, really powerful. My, the numbers on my bike reflect that. I know I'm heavier. I mean, muscle is dense. You know, like right. even if your size doesn't really change, the scale goes down when you step onto it. You know, so I can't tell you, Patrick, how many times I, t- I hear, and it's, it's, it's the same disconnect. I hear riders will say, yeah, you know, I, f- I, feel, I feel really good. I feel much better, actually, at like X weight. And then in the next breath, we'll say they have to lose weight. Because they're not at like this magical race weight. And it it makes me uh, really insane. Like it just makes me bananas. So I think that like look at this woman, go watch the video, think about power to weight because she is personifying power to weight. And even if you need, like we always like, oh, but you need to climb and you need to fight gravity. I can't think of a better, like talking about fighting gravity than taking your own body weight and doing that with it. Like Yep. I understand you don't want to be built like a linebacker, and there is times that muscle, depending where it is, can be. I totally get it, all of it. But you can't neglect the power. You can't neglect how you feel. You can't neglect happiness, Watts. You can't neglect any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's I'm, I'm going to step back off my soapbox. And um, I'm, <laughs> I'm also going to say one more thing. I've got one more thought about, because it is that time of year, and a lot of people are hitting me with a lot of resolutions, that... Also, the weight that she lost when she found herself finding joy, I think, is very important. So she wasn't worried about her physical weight, but that weight she was carrying otherwise was really holding her down, right? So if 
check yourself. Like, find, like, are you having fun on your bike? Are you enjoying the training process? Do you find joy in your training process? You know, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of people who I feel like they're a little miserable. Like they're just like, oh, you know, they're just going into the same cycle that they, oh, I need to get the miles and I need to get, I'm just going to go out and get it done. Like I need, and I understand like not every ride is going to be a, a, you know, a joyful roll through unicorns and roses. I, I fully, I get it. But in the big picture, you know, it should be like, it should be mindful and it should be happy. I mean, it should, it should satisfy that. And if, you know, if you're going out in 15 minutes into your ride, you're still not feeling that, then I would encourage you to assess, you know, I'd encourage you to assess, like, is this still what you want to do? Are your goals just, just, are you trapped by them because they're arbitrary or are they something that's actually satisfying you? You know, I think that if you're trying to talk resolutions and you're going to talk stuff that, um, is you know is is meaningful and changes in your life and stuff that you're striving for, then in the big picture, you should be mindful and purposeful, and and pay attention if they are achieving those goals. And if they're not, find ones that are because uh, the places they take you might just end up surprising you. So that's that's my poll. Little weighty, but you know. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, a, a, a little heavy. Uh, <laughs> but I will, light, but light, sort of. Uh, what I will offer, and then I, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, boy, this is mm, this is never easy. Um, so I wrestled with some more depression over the holidays. Yep. Um, it is wildly uncomfortable to admit that. Um, what I will say is that when I looked at writing and <clears throat> I was, I was doing some counseling and the counseling was taking a not insignificant amount of time each week for a few mm-hmm. weeks. And so I had to weigh how and when I was going to get my rides in during that time. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion I came to was that I was only going to permit myself those things that weren't any fun to do if they were absolutely necessary to do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, paying bills, absolutely necessary, (laughs) zero fun. You know, dishes, not much fun, Uh, but it had to be done. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but riding was one of those things that if I couldn't figure out a way that the ride was going to be fun, there was just no point in going. There was no point in taking on something that wasn't going to add some amount of pleasure in my life or remove some amount of weight uh, Mm -hmm. from me. And I've realized that unless I've got that part figured out, I really should not get on the bike. And so even though it was pouring on my ride today, I was really happy to be out there. That's awesome. That is, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's, I think that's great. And I think those are, we're so unnecessarily hard on ourselves for no reason sometimes, right? Like, yeah. um, and, 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 and we, I hear it a lot from, from cyclists and people 
who are, you know, they've got lives and they've got busy and they've got stuff and maybe they're going through, you know, depression or maybe they're going through a really hard time and they just pile onto themselves, you know, like, um, it's none, none of us is getting paid, you know, unless you are a professional and you need to get out there, you know, like, um, it really, you know, and I am, believe me, I'm as type A as they come. I am all about like goal orientation. We've had this talk and I, um, a little bit. Yeah. But, but is, but those, but I never, uh, you know, when, even when I'm single mindedly in pursuit of, of some big goal like that, uh, the, the, I feel mindful and purposeful and joyful even, you know, even through the suffering, because when I'm done mm-hmm. suffering, I'm smiling. And sometimes yeah. I'm even kind of smiling through the suffering. Like, that's when you know it's okay. Like, I'm not yeah. saying, like, don't, like, there are t- please, there are times when it's five o'clock in the morning that I do not want to get up and go to the gym. I'm, I'm like a human being. But <laughs> You're I, like a human being. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I know that when I get, you know, I know that that's just like a little, that's just a thing to push through because that's just inertia. There's a difference, and and I think that when yeah. when we when we're honest with ourselves, we we know the difference. But sometimes it's hard to pull back the curtain and tease all that out. You know, like it's easier just to like just stick to your routine or just say like, oh, I should harden the f up. You know, which is something I hate beyond all anything. So, yeah, I think it's I think just the introspection of that is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think there's one question that. People, you know, if you were doing a Q&A before a, a crowded gymnasium, I think there's a question that an awful lot of people would ask you uh, that would help further inform what you've shared about weight and everything. You okay. said you've had awful races at 127 and you've had uh-huh. some of your very best races at 137. Uh-huh. But let's talk about body composition. Were you at the same percentage of body fat? at both of those weights or did it shift some? You don't have to share specific numbers, but I'm curious about how how body fat related to muscle at each of those weights. Um, honestly, I think that it was, and I don't, I don't track that as carefully because I didn't have that um, element of a scale at my disposal at the time, like mm, for that full okay. five years. But I did, I did check in on the Atinida on that kind of a body, you know, I have a good, and honestly that stays fairly consistently with me. It changes a little bit seasonally. Um, a lot of it, I am a woman. Hormones have uh, an effect for sure on your weight goes up and down. Um, you know, you, you, your body plasma does all kinds of crazy things and, you know, you retain water or you don't retain water. So, um, and I am a great glycogen storer, you know? So like, I can't, I mean, the morning of Ironman, honest to God, I was like, I don't want anyone to take a picture of me until this thing is done. Because I felt like a giant tick. I'm like, I just trained <laughs> for nine months and I look at me, like I feel, I just, like it, just, it was just mental because I was just like, it's all fine. But I mean, these are the things that go through your head. So I get it. Um, you know, but all of that, but if you, but all, but if all you do is just weigh in and weigh in, it, like you can just, you're, you can miss a lot, you mm-hmm. know, because your weight is not a steady thing. It's not this static thing. You're yeah. not going to, it, it, you can gain five pounds in a day. You can lose six pounds. It, it goes up and down, you know, right. so it's just, it's better. I mean, if you're, if you're bound and determined to check in, okay, like maybe pick one day a week when you're consistently training and just see that it's ballparking in the right direction, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I understand all that. And I do totally understand that. Yes, you can have unwanted pounds that are not doing you any good. I, I, I totally get that. Um, I, I just feel like, 
too much. There's a, there, I'm not one for the slippery slope thing, but in this case, there's definitely a slippery slope, and cyclists find themselves on it all the time. You know, all the time. They, they lose a little weight, and that helps, because they needed to lose a little weight. But there's a point of diminishing returns, and I think you hit it before you know you do. And you can get super mental about it. Um, and I, so I think just tracking all that stuff, make it just one metric. You know what I mean? Like if you, want, if you need that number, make it just one of all of your numbers, of your performance, of how you feel, of like, you know, did you stay with the pack this week? Like all that stuff is, is tangible. It's, it's much more important than am I two pounds one way or the other? Or am I, it just yeah. definitely is. Yeah. I mean, on a personal note, so I'm I'm down a a good solid ten pounds from where I was this past year, this time last year. But the body fat percentage really hasn't changed much. It was actually lower. Okay, yeah. It was actually lower uh, when I was a couple pounds heavier, say back August. Okay. Well, that happened. Uh, now <laughs> the math, math is hard for me. <laughs> I was gonna. <laughs> Yeah. So I I mean I have the one number that I want to look at which is body composition. Right. You know, body fat. Uh so I I don't get all that wrapped up in what my actual weight is. That's but good. there's this <laughs> there's this moment of getting on the scale and it's like well, you know, by by a previous metric that's a really good number. And yet, hang on, hang on, here it comes, here it comes. Oh, there's the body that number does not please me. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but you know, we are more than our body composition. Oh, true, true. <laughs> you know, but it's one of those things that, yeah, I, I'd like to get on top of that. And I think that's how a lot of our listeners probably feel. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And, you know, I'll just say um, two words strength training. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, that's I've all. got an Amazon echo <laughs> I'll pull now, off and now. so I'm going to okay. set an alarm. Yeah, anyway. uh, I'm using the Amazon Echo for my boys' night, you know, bedtime routine alarm because uh, it'll just start blaring out in the middle of whatever's going on. That's cool. <laughs> and I've got everybody trained for it, and so it's like, all right, I'm probably going to need to do this for for my morning routine. There you oh. go. Yeah. All righty. What do so you got? this? Uh, well, this week um, I'm going to deal with another listener question. Um, this is from my IRL, that is in real life, friend, Romani. Now, this woman is incredibly fast. She pinged on my radar a couple of years ago when she passed me in the last couple of kilometers at the Super Sweetwater Grasshopper. And it's funny because in my piece about the event, I mentioned getting my doors blown off by a woman near the finish. And in the comments, she wrote in and said, yeah, that might have been me. And then I went and looked at the results and yeah, it was her. Something in her tone was nearly apologetic though, so it really cracked me up. Uh, in the two years since then though, she's continued to get stronger. So yeah, Romani, crazy fast. She's going to be racing mountain bikes a bunch this year beyond just doing gravel stuff. She has chosen to do the Breck Epic. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she approached me for advice on purchasing a new bike. Right now, she's got a hardtail, 
uh, with relatively old school geometry, a shortish top tube, a longish stem by today's standards, 72 degree head tube angle. I don't know the fork rake, but she says mm-hmm. it's a little sketchy at speed and she can't mm-hmm. descend on it. Um, she's been thinking of replacing uh, it with another. Yeah, she should just replace it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so she's been thinking of replacing it with another hardtail so she can have something just as light, but maybe descend a little better. Romany strength, as evidence from the previous story, is really climbing. So she'd like to capitalize on that and then try to minimize her weakness in descending. She ran a few bikes by me. Uh, one of them was the Pivot Less and then the mm-hmm. Ibis DV9. I like both of those bikes a lot. You know, looking at them on paper, they're really great designs. Both those companies do great work, mm-hmm. very high quality bikes. But I surprised her, and I hope I hope Chris Kokalis and Scott Nickel don't axe murder me for this. Um <laughs> I surprised her by suggesting that she should be thinking about a full suspension bike. Mm -hmm. My contention is that because she's already a good climber, there's not that much more time for her to gain on the climbs. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a bad descender and you become a pretty good descender, you can gain minutes. Mm -hmm. Going downhill really is where she stands to make the biggest gains. And a great 100 millimeter bike won't really hurt her climbing but could make her, like I said, minutes faster on descents. So I'd be inclined to steer her towards something like the Pivot Mach 429SL. You know, there are a lot of other bikes out there. The Canyon Lux, which I reviewed recently. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Specialized Epic. There are all sorts of, you know, really great 100 millimeter bikes that really pedal very well. You know, they don't bob. Part of the reason I'm bringing this up is that I've had a few people, this is just the craziest thing ever, I've actually had a few people urge me to start a bike purchase consultancy, (laughs) where people come to me to help them select the ideal bike for their needs, along with specking it in in the case of a custom rig, you know, and then help them through the purchasing process. Um, And then somehow I charge them something for this. I think it's a crazy (laughs) idea. And I don't think anybody would pay me to do this. Uh, But this is your chance and our listeners' chance to say, no, no, dude, I'd totally do that. I'll probably still laugh. But, you know, this this effort to help guide somebody into the right, right bike is something I do get really passionate about. And especially in the case of women where being on a man's bike can really mess things up. And one of the things I was talking with her about also is how Specialized has continued to nail women's geometry year after year after year. And I don't care if you're talking road bikes or hardtails. I mean, they make some of the only 29ers that a woman under five foot five can actually fit on and, and ride without seeming like they're on a pair of stilts. <laughs> um I know you've done serious time on hardtails as well as full suspension bikes. Yep. And I've also managed to notice that you're a woman. Yeah. No. Funny thing. All all my life. Carefully spotted on my part. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you, what's your opinion on, you know, steering somebody into a hundred millimeter bike versus a hardtail? That is not even a question. That is not even a question. Not even a question. 
I, there is not even a question. If you're listening, Ramanit, it's not even a question. And I've raced that race. And uh, I won one stage, got second overall, just to throw it out there. But it is, and I, too, am mostly a climber. And I, too, uh, when I, I raced a hardtail, and I would lose, it was so frustrating to lose so much time on descents. Like, to do all that work to get to the top of a climb, just to have people, like, catch you or even blow by you when you're, like, skitching your way down a technical descent. It makes so much difference. And and the 100 mil bikes are magical these days. Magical. There is no reason. I can't think of a single one, honestly, to go hardtail. Like, they're a little, you know, they're, all, they're a little more raked out in the front. Almost all of them. They've got that longer yep. base, shorter rear. Um, you know, the ja- it's almost cliche here at bicycling to talk about that because they're like all all those cross country bikes are sort of going in that trail sort of direction. But they are amazing. I raced um, the uh, Leadville stage race on, uh, and I've done that on a hardtail, and I've done it on this other bike. I raced it on a on a Yeti Betty with even a dropper. And let me tell Duh. you when. When you're going down, because everyone's like, oh, it's a roadie race. No, it's not. You're going down some really steep stuff, and some of it is hair-raising. And when you've got a dropper and a light cross-country bike that soaks up all the stutters and stuff, you're just like motoring past some people who are stopped and walking down a downhill because it's so sketchy on a hardtail. I don't think there's... like. I feel super passionate about that. I just don't think there's really any reason. I mean, there's there's some very good hardtails. And if you, yes, perhaps if you only race where it's smooth as butter and you're on flow trails all day, okay, fine. You don't need the back suspension to worry about. But if you're doing the Breck Epic, for the love of all that is holy, go get, like, uh, there's a day when I thought I was just going to, uh, you descend so long, you climb over the Continental Divide. Right. Like, (laughs) so you uh, you then you descend just as long and it's really fatiguing. If you're absorbing all that with your body, you are just going to you'll get past. I I don't like there's just too much descending. You'll get past. There's no there's no question. And you'll be miserable. Even worse. Talk about joy. Like there's nothing worse than being when people are hooping and hollering and like buzzing by you and you're just praying for your life and waiting for the thing to end. Now, sister, get a full suspension cross country bike. That that is my yes. That is my yeah. uh, unequivocal yes. That's how, yes. And it's interesting. I mean, your your little your little uh, side gig idea there that somebody has for you. I mean, it's. It, the struggle is real. Bicycling, the number one question we get is, what bike should I buy? Everybody. That's the, that's like the number one question anyone asks. What bike should I buy? What bike should I buy? Because it's so sure. hard. There's, there's a di- billion, billion bikes out there yeah. of all, you know, and they're, you know, they're sort of similar, but they're, you know, as someone who tests a fair amount of bikes, and, and you can speak to this too, just little tweaks in geometry and little things make a huge difference. Like all that stuff. Like it really does change the way a bike quality is, and it, and it's it's funny when you start really digging a little further into it. You know, there's a woman I work with. Um, we almost routinely dislike the same, but like I, a bike I love, she will dislike, and a bike I dislike, she will love, and we're the same size. But there's something about how we ride and whatever that 
the bikes that we both like don't work for each other. You know, it's just mm. really interesting. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a very real thing and it's, and it's hard to test ride. Right. And that's, yeah. that's part of it too. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's kind of like car dealerships, right? Where you're just like, you have to find a bike shop and a lot of bike shops don't carry much or carry some of these more remote, like some there's regional stuff, right? Where you can't get a pivot somewhere. You can't get yeah. a Cannondale somewhere. It's just, that's just real. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've I've thought from time to time about trying to keep uh, create an index of where all the demo vans are throughout the country oh, at right. any given time. You know, because getting you that's know when a, someone yeah. goes to a, a park and sets up an easy up and is sending people out for test rides, that's the way to do it. Yeah. At least in the case of a mountain bike, you know, road road bikes. I can test ride a road bike on basically any road, anywhere, anytime. That's not difficult for me to do. But I can say from considerable experience, I don't understand a mountain bike until I've ridden it on a trail I know intimately. Yeah, 100%. It's very hard. Very, very hard. Yeah. Gravel yeah. bikes, it's sort of similar. Uh, it, I mean, no, because there can be different difference. kinds of gravel. I mean, that, it mm -hmm. depends the the terrain. The terrain needs to be at least similar, um, and mountain bikes for sure. I mean, when I go, especially because where I live is so unique, um, you know, I go somewhere and test bikes, and I have no idea how it's going to behave on the East Coast kind of riding. You know, when I'm out in it's Colorado, it's very different. Yeah, like the, yeah. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. You have to let me know how the story ends because I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will. I will check in with her after she's she has listened to this. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, I agree. There's something to giving people advice on what bike to buy. I'm not sure anybody's willing to pay for that advice. Yeah, it's hard to know if that's actually. You it. know, I would think uh, maybe it's a. It has to be a larger business model, right? Like it has to <laughs> be. I don't know. It has to be maybe part of a larger service, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll wait for an email where that gets shot down in flames, uh, by, <laughs> by someone equally passionate, right? <laughs> okay. Paceline picks. What do you got? Um, I again have something a little more, uh, large and broad this week as rather, as opposed to a product. Cause I'm back on soapboxes, I guess. Uh, my pick this week is real food. Yes, it's food. Um, because I just wrote this, this piece on a very interesting study that has me thinking a whole lot about the global obesity epidemic and the metabolic diseases that everybody's facing around the country and the world that we've been struggling with, you know, in kind of recent history. I mean, it's been a few decades now, but it is, it is still fairly recent that this, that all these problems have skyrocketed the way they have. In our lifetime. Um, Yes, it is in our lifetime. You look, you look at game shows from the 70s and people look very, very different, right? Yeah. 60s and yeah. 70s, people look very different. Yeah. Um, and I've thought a lot about that because, yes, we've gotten more sedentary. You know, there's a lot of reasons, but the math never quite makes sense. But when you start like digging into the science and talking to people, and there's a lot behind what we've done to our food system. And the, 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 the tampering with food and the, the movement from real food to packaged food. And um, that food gets manipulated a lot. And, and, you know, some of it seems benign, but now we're sort of finding out that it's not benign. Like even stuff that 
nobody really did think was going to do any harm. It's not like even the added sugars and all that stuff. So that's why this study really caught my attention, because mm-hmm. it's on an additive and a preservative that seems benign, but it's in everything. It's in it's in everything like shredded cheese, like stuff that, that I buy, you know, because it's convenient. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they put they it's inorganic phosphate. So they put right. it on to, to keep it from sticking together. It's in everything. It's in cereal. It's in it's shocking how much it's in everything. It also occurs in nature. I mean, it's an element. We need phosphorus, and phosphate is where we get in our diet. It helps with the creation of DNA and RNA and, and energy production. It's very, very important. Um, but when we get it through fruits and vegetables and meats and all that stuff, our body's not real good at, at uh, absorbing it. So it doesn't, like, shoot into our bloodstream, right? It's just, you know, we get just the levels we need from it from natural sources. However... Studies have been done that when it's inorganic phosphate and it's used as an additive, it go the blood the blood levels go up very high. Like it, it actually spikes blood levels of phosphate when it comes from those sources, not natural sources, as an additive, inorganic as opposed to organic. Very important. So now it turns out that um, there's a researcher who's sort of made this her passion to study how this is affecting people. And it's well established that people with kidney disease should stay the heck away from this stuff. Um, But now it's looking like a lot of us should stay away from it because it turns out that high levels of phosphate in the diet messes up your fat fat metabolism so your muscles can't access the fatty acids quite as well. It spikes your blood pressure during exercise. It makes exercise feel harder. So they they did these studies in rats and mice that sort of found all this stuff. And then they took people and they didn't do like the same kind of study yet, but they did an observational thing where, you know, people were activity monitors and they drew blood. And sure enough, the same trend is panning out. And there was a few thousand people in the study. And they found that people with high phosphate blood levels spent less time exercising. They just spent less less time in moderate and vigorous activity. And as um, the phosphate levels rose, so did sedentary time. I mean, the two things, and again, this is not direct cause and effect, obviously. She's doing that study. They're they're in the process of going like, we need to pursue this more. But when you combine all of this stuff and, you know, like the biological, what they know are the biological impacts of phosphate and then these observational things and then the studies on animals, it does not paint a good picture. And when you consider that we are eating more and more processed foods, this just feels like another Another big reason, <laughs> if you need another reason, to buy real food in its real form. Like, wow. you know, whenever, like, even it, I might even start shredding my own cheese. Like, I, I just feel like the closer we can get um, to the to a real source of food that looks like food, uh, the honestly, the better we are. I mean, I, I've sort of, like, made that the singular dietary thing I try to live by, but we all love convenience, right? And I'm just like, oh, you know, I read my labels and whatever, but, uh, yeah, inorganic phosphate, like, look look for the PHOS additives, you know, monophosphate, like, all that stuff, and I just try to limit it, maybe, and it's maybe not a bad idea. Real food. Yeah, Quite can't recommend it take. Enough. Yeah. I got freaked out the other day when I found out that glyphosate from Roundup uh, is turning up in every wine produced in California. I saw your post. <laughs> I, what are we doing, man? Like, 
you don't have to be a hippie tree hugger to be like, we need, like, let's not mess up our food. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I really don't know what to do. You know, it's turning up in organic wines because, you know, just run off from other yeah. vineyards. Yeah, it's impossible to contain that. Yeah. Oy. Ugh. Okay, well, something like else. You, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, uh, my pick this week is uh, a category, not an individual product. Okay. So I'm going with the rain jersey this week. Ah, okay. Until because about six rain. years ago, this wasn't a thing. Well, yeah, <laughs> present circumstance. But seriously, this, uh, until about six years ago, this wasn't a thing at all. And actually, oh, wait, that might know? be off. It, it might be closer to eight. I wasn't actually, I didn't actually register what you're saying. So you, you're saying, when you said rain jersey, my mind immediately goes vest, jacket. You you say jersey. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This is a, we're talking the, the, the prototypical piece in, in of this is the Castelli Gabba. Okay. Okay. It's full zip. Uh, more recently, there's a long, uh, a short sleeve short version, sleeve, but the, okay. the original was long sleeve, okay. you know, had some vents in it, but you know, it looks like a jersey. It fits like a jersey. It's got pockets in the back like a jersey, but it's got a membrane to make it waterproof. Theoretically, it'll breathe, but seriously, I haven't found anything that's completely waterproof that breathes well enough for any effort above zone two and sometimes not even zone two. A hundred percent agree. Yes. You know, uh, but still. Breathes kind of well enough, but you're still going to sweat in there. Yeah. You know, but I'd rather a rainforest of my perspiration than 45 degree rain. So yes, I'm with you. There's, there's a, a, you know, but you know, what set the GABA apart from other garments was, you know, really that, that combination of waterproof fabric, insulation, pockets, some stretch, long tail. I mean, it's funny to think that 15 years ago, that didn't exist. We didn't have an option like that. You just bundled up with more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm bringing it up now because I've had ra- writers who've never worn one of these things ask me, what's the big deal? Why is this so different from a rain jacket? And the first thing really is the fit. It's a snugger fit. Plus it, you know, the stretch and not having to reach through some zippered open uh, thing to get to pockets on the inside. It's so much easier to get to, to food. And if you're in an event, you know, if you're not just out for a ride with your yep. club, you got to be able to get to the food. You can't be fumbling around because I am precisely the guy who, if I can't get to the food easily, it's just, okay, at some future point when things are less stressful, I will eat. And that's how I bonk, boys and girls. Yeah, no, we're all, yeah, uh, no, I've done that too. It's just, it's yeah. the worst. It is and, the worst. Or then you like, you try to get it out and you throw it into the air. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that. Oh, it's terrible. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but now it's a, verit- uh, a veritable category. So you've got Castelli doing the Gabba and the Profetto. They've got long sleeve, they've got short sleeve. Mm-hmm. Giordana has the Aquavento product line. Hmm. That's long sleeve and short sleeve. Seven Mesh offers the Synergy jersey. Uh, that's two, their, their pattern of stuff or, or their 
their preference is to do two big pockets with kind of angled openings uh, rather than three traditional pockets. They're really easy to get into. And because they're reasonably cavernous, you can stuff a lot of food in there. Mm. And then uh, there's also one from Shimano's S-Fire line, uh, which they call their wind-resistant jersey, um, or their wind jersey. I, I might have that slightly wrong. But yeah, it's from the S-Fire line. And I am to understand that Pearl Izumi has something cool on the way for next fall. You can pay. You can expect to pay $175 and up for these things. Um, of all of them, the Shimano has arguably the best fit. It's the stretchiest and best insulated of the entire set. It's also, I believe, the most expensive or one of the most expensive at like $300. <gasps> okay. That's <laughs> an yeah. investment, but yeah. Yeah, it really is. But I mean, it is a game changer sort of piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I, mm -hmm. if you're going to ride in the rain, everybody needs one piece of this sort. Mm -hmm. The only thing I can knock about the Shimano one is that it, it comes in black. Right. Black. Right. When, and you're riding in the rain in black. And that's, yeah, right. it does have a reflective panel in back, okay. but the reason I don't completely reject the Shimano uh, wind resistant jersey is that I can still find it useful on gravel rides and mountain bike rides. And so I keep it, <laughs> I keep it in circulation for that. It's such a nice piece. It's one of those that, you know, I just about want to get a can of Krylon and spray paint it yellow. <laughs> but you know, since I can get to trails really easily from my place, I do keep it in circulation. I, certainly there are other people who don't mind wearing something black, but I have a tough time recommending it for anything on the road. But my gosh, it's a, it's a really fantastic piece. All of these are just wonderful. There may be others out there that I haven't even tried yet. I don't know how I don't have a rain jersey after hearing you talk, <laughs> right? Because I, cause I yeah. guess I just throw a jacket on, but um, you're making me feel like I need a... So you would wear a... I'd say I just need to put my head around this. You would wear a, a short sleeve rain jersey without a jacket and just like have your arms getting wet? I mean, is that what I'm hearing? Arm warmers. So there are now water repelling arm warmers. Okay. Sportful does them. Giordana does them. Uh, Castelli does them. You know, there, there are those out there. So mm -hmm. you do arm warmers with a short sleeve one. And then if it really starts to get warm, you know, if, you know, if you're in Georgia, it's going to happen. It's yeah. going to rain. It might oh, be a yeah. little cool. It's going to start to get warmer. You pull the arm warmers down and you're going to be much happier. Yep. yep. I could see doing, you know, like with the, the, the Profetto, I could see doing whole rides in Memphis, no arm warmers during the spring and fall. I could see doing that with that short sleeve version. Cool. And, you know, with a nice warm core, you can put up with a whole lot more. That is true. That is a fact. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, cool. And it's just the sort of thing that at this point, I think it's an indispensable part of any cyclist's wardrobe. I am going to look into it. Yeah. All righty. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of The Pace Line. How long until your first event of the season, Celine? Well, it should be on Saturday, but um, I, I might have to miss it just because family stuff is conflicting. There's a, there's a, it's that crazy fat bike 
thing I do every year. So, <laughs> and there is, it's funny though, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because there's no snow on the ground right now, but they are calling for a storm that they're still watching that could dump a little or a lot during the event. So I, I may or may not be sorry that I'm missing it <laughs> this, this time around. Um, <laughs> Because I don't mind a little snow, but then to end up in eight inches of snow by the end, and I, I'm not sure I'm down with that. Anyway, um, so it should be, it should have been this weekend, but now it looks like it will be um, February. We start, we start our quote unquote spring classics towards the end of February. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's, they're very fun. They're very, there's a, a Kermesse Sport puts them on in uh the Jersey, like the Hunterton area, the hell of Hunterton, yep. Sourland, and um, just beautiful, beautiful riding, and you know, very hard, lots of hills, steep stuff, super punchy, but uh, yep. yeah, real fun, good riding. So the race promoter Brian is a former yeah. teammate of mine. Oh, get out of here! He was in Redondo Beach. Yeah, we were members of the South Bay Wheelmen. I had no idea. Yeah, he keeps talking about wanting to bring me out and do. Uh, to do one of his events, and yeah. I keep saying, "Yeah, it sounds like something I need to do." Yeah, Floyd uh, was out last uh, last year for yeah, uh, yeah, Hell of Hunter. It was fun. It was fun to see him. Uh, Excellent. Tear, uh, he can still descend like a, like he stole something, man. He can still he can still go I downhill imagine. very fast. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my first of the season is this weekend as well. Uh, oh wow! The tour to Placer Bay. And uh, there's a pretty fair chance that it will be raining during the event. And this is a gravel event. Wow. So wow. I, uh, by, by about three o'clock Sunday afternoon, I will be brown. Is the, uh, is the dirt good when it's wet? It doesn't turn to clay or anything. You know how I mean? Like some, like mm-hmm. there's, there's mm-hmm. those clay, pottery projects that you end up doing that are, <laughs> that are, that are terrible. Um, but then there's some that, like out here, it's, it's get soft and it's kind of whatever, but it doesn't stop you. It doesn't stick to you. Well, since this is kind of just about the other side of the state, Auburn, you know, the other side of Sacramento from here, I don't have any serious experience with that stuff when it's wet. So I really don't know. It's been mm. dampish both years I've done it, but not out and out raining. And I have some concerns about what this could be uh hmm. just in terms of like the challenge but i'm i'm in i it can it can pour all day long and i'm still in awesome either way because i have a rain jersey right uh, yes it's awesome well good luck <laughs> thanks okay uh we've been loving the request for segments on the show so you all have been sending in some great stuff and we're happy to receive more if you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments or send us an email. Before we go, I'd like to put a plug in for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. This week's show is part two of my interview with frame builder Dave Kirk, who cut his teeth at Serata. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.